So the book of Acts gives us a picture of what the church can be when it's working right. When it's working right. Now, the early church was not a perfect church. They had problems. We saw that uh, last Saturday. If you missed last Saturday's message, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that uh, message. But what we've seen in this series so far, I'm just going to kind of bring you up to speed. This, this series has been entitled Forward Church on the Move. And we've been mining out from the first several chapters of the book of Acts some traits of the church of Jerusalem there. What we've learned so far is that a church on the move is a church, first of all, that is following orders. Whose orders? God's orders. Jesus' orders. We find there in chapter 1, yeah, Jesus tells the disciples what they're to do before he ascends. He tells them what they're to do, and they do it. They follow orders, and throughout the book of Acts, they're just simply following the orders that Jesus had given them. We've also seen that a church on the move is one that is prioritizing prayer. And throughout the book of Acts, we see the church coming together and praying about many different uh, problems and things that uh, opposition and troubles that they face. But we find them praying for wisdom and and those sorts of things. But for the church, prayer was a priority. We also saw that the early church, they were operating by the Spirit. And a church on the move has to be operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the engine. He's the engine. He's the power, the power of God that works in and through the church. We also see that a church on the move was a church that is making disciples, a church that is functioning in community, a church that is overcoming opposition. We've seen all of this in these chapters of Acts uh, it is a church that is dealing with sin. And then last Saturday, a church on the move is one that is solving problems. Even the first church was not a perfect church. It had problems too. New membership brought new problems. Growing pain problems. And so when a church is on the move, it is going to, in all likelihood experience problems. Various problems may be very unique problems to the local church because every local church is unique in many ways. And so what I'd like to do, just beginning here tonight, is I'd like to do a little exercise with you uh, tonight. So bear with me, all right? I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the question. It's up on the screen. And I'd like for you to engage with with me and respond. And I'm going to write some things up here on the board. Here is the question. As we move forward as a church, what are some of the growing pain problems that we are likely to encounter? I did this. I kind of field tested this a little bit with one of my life groups. And some of you guys who are in there, you can chime in and talk about, bring up some of the things maybe we talked about there if you'd like to. But think about that for a moment. As we as a church move forward, what are some of the growing pain problems that we are likely to encounter? All right? And I'm going to write them down on this board. You can't see that. I am really sorry because that is 
I'll use a black marker. I have one somewhere. All right. That says problems. All right. So just talk to me. Volunteers. A volunteer problem. All right. So let's just talk about that for a moment. I mean, you, you think about uh, when we open our new campus up here in Happy Valley Parkway, um, 16,000 cars drive by there every day. There's going to be a lot of interest. We're going to have people come into our, our services just out of curiosity. Like, who's this, what's this new church doing on Happy Valley Parkway? There's a lot of people that drive up and down Happy Valley that are Christians that, that go to church and maybe, they're, maybe they've been always wanting something a little closer to their home. So there's going to be people who are going to come and visit us. Um, uh, how do we manage, if there's 350 seats in the auditorium, how do we, let's just, let's just dream a little, let's just dream a little bit. What if, what if all those chairs are filled on the very first service? <laughs> Kelly says, you better have a good sermon ready. Yeah, whoo, you got that right, girl. We're going to start working on that now, all right? Sermons, we're going to put that down. Um, so how, let, let's just think about that for a little bit. What, what are we going to need volunteers for? Child care, all right? Because we assume that there are going to be families coming in with little kids, right? Uh, nursery age kids, kids that, that are uh, student age, right? Some will be older, some will be much younger, right? A, a wide variety of ages. Um, we're, we'll need volunteers, someone to watch them. Now, we could do, you know, we could say we're just going to have everybody in the service. How would that work? Do you, how many of you think it's important that we, we have some child care available? All right, we, we all agree on that. We're going to need some volunteers. What else? I mean, child care. Yeah, that's one. What else? Child care. I'm going to just write these down. Uh, I, what else did I hear? Greed, greeting, okay? Okay, all right. Uh, worship leader, worship team. Is that what, I, I assume that's what you're talking about. Musicians and that sort of thing, right? Okay. We have a team right now, and if need be, we could... We could do what we're doing right now. I mean, our dream has been to be able to, we, we've had uh, live music in the room. We'd like to be able to have that again, right? Um, so, okay, so greeters, uh, worship team, instruments, right? Uh, let's just talk about those. Why is, why do you think, gre- why, why are greeters important? Why is that even a necessity? Make people feel welcome. Why do we need to make people feel welcome? Okay. It's their first time. And they might not know where to go. They might be confused as to where the restroom is or where the kids go. Or they just need a smiling face there, right? Someone, people who can answer questions and welcome people. All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll need some, some greeters. Uh, what else? What else can we add to this? What other volunteers? All right. 
All right, what do we call that, Dave? Um, grounds kind of thing? We'll call it maintenance. Parking attendance. What was it? M-A-N maintenance. You know what it is. Am I spelling it wrong? I'm just... I got it right. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. So some folks, to, 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 as people are pulling in the parking lot, right, make sure that people know that there's extra parking spots around the back, right? I mean, our, our parking lot will have 185 parking spots. The city only requires us to have 85. We're having 185 because parking, once your parking lot's full, people just drive, keep driving. They drive out of the parking lot and they go somewhere else, right? So um, we'll have plenty of parking, but sometimes if a parking lot is almost full, people feel like it's already full and you need people there who can manage and say, no, no, there's, there's a spot down here, right? And kind of help them find their spot and then welcome them just as they get out of their car. What else? Okay, coffee. That's serious. All right, we're going to put a star by that one. And we're going to put an exclamation point after it, right? Ushers. Okay. We'll probably have boxes, but... Um, it's nice to have ushers in the room that can help people find seats. Again, once a room is 80% full, people think the room is full. And they don't, they're not going to walk, especially guests, are gonna, they're not going to walk up and down an aisle looking for one or two seats, more or less. You know, it'll make them feel very uncomfortable, and they may not return after experience. So it's good to have ushers that can help them find a place. What else? Security. Good one. All right. Yes, we're gonna need we're gonna need some security. We're gonna need guys who, who are watching what goes on, um, and secret secret service. All right. Because we want to keep everybody safe and secure. What else? Admin. Administration. Okay. In administration, there's a lot of different details that go into an event like that, a service like that, and you need people who can oversee that and administrate that. Can you think of anything else? Mary? Okay. Okay. Um, that might go with ushers, but um, we could say graphics, that sort of thing. Thank you. Yes, AVL. AVL, okay, all the, yeah, the AVL people back there are like, yeah, don't forget about us, please. We're going to need help. What is it? Events. Events, like in a, a coordinator, events type of. Gotcha. Okay, and we're not talking about necessarily the first service there. We're talking about broadly, yes, right? Okay. And in each of these, some of the, you know, graphics, writers, administration, all those things, 
happen before and after and, you know, all the events that take place at the church. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's just stop there. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. We, we have 12 different areas there. Um, how are we going to manage to do, how many child care workers are we going to need? Cindy, can you cover all this, baby? How many are we going to need? Who's worked in child care before? You would know. How many do you think? Let's just say if, there's, if the room is full of adults, that means there's probably 100. There's probably 70. I think it's 80-20. I think for every 80 adults, you have 20 kids. So let's just say 50 kids. You need a nursery? Right? So that's two, four. Okay. So probably six to eight. Six. Six to eight adults, right? Greeters. I mean, each of these, each of these are not one-man teams, right? These are, you need multiple people on each of these teams. Let's just say, let, we're, just, we're just spitballing here, all right? Let's just say we have 350 at the first service. How many volunteers are we going to need to handle that well? 50, 30, 75. Okay. We're going to, that number's about right. We were talking about this with the men this week. And, and that's about the number I think we came up with, was somewhere in that, somewhere in that realm. Okay? All right? Okay. Let's move on. Volunteers. All right? That's, that's, gonna, that's a problem. Right? What other problems could we foresee moving forward as a church? What other problems could we encounter disagreements all right i'm running out of room here disagreements right yes okay um in any building program there's various things that have to happen right and classrooms that have to be put together and and things that are organized and 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 so there can be disagreements in how to manage all of that, right? Because we all don't think exactly the same. I, I know that's bizarre because we always think everybody should see everything like Pastor Dave or like, you know, like, like we see it. But, but we think differently, right? So, okay, disagreements. What else? What other problems? Okay. Cultural issues. Okay? Cultural things, yeah. Finances. Okay? Disagreements. Cultural issues. Finances. It, you know, it'll, it's, we'll, we'll be taking on new responsibilities as a church. Lights and we don't pay a, whoop, we don't pay a, a, a lighting bill here. We pay rent here, but but we don't pay utilities, and some of these things will be new to us as a church, new financial responsibilities. What else? Leadership. leadership. Okay, there can be leadership problems. There can be the problem of, yes, the, the lack of leadership, right? All of, this, 
right? If you have 50 to 75 volunteers, you need team leaders for all of these different teams, right? That's right there you have 10 different leaders, okay? Can you think of anything else? I don't want to spend all night on the problems. Yes. Outreach. Outreach. Okay. How do we do outreach? How, how will that work? I mean, we know we're called to reach our community. How are we going to go about doing that? Follow up. I'm going to have to start over here. color of the rug. That would be under disagreements, probably. The beautiful thing about it is we're not having carpet in our church. We're just having... Look, look at the cement. This is what we're... This is probably what we're going to have right here, just cement. But. Various ministries, okay? For, would that be forming ministries? All right. Okay, we have a... I think we have a pretty good representation of some of the problems, and there will be, there, there could be others that come completely out of left field that we don't see coming, right? But do you feel like this is a pretty good representation? Does anybody feel like we're, is there anything like it's on the tip of your tongue and you just feel like, man, we're, it totally should be on this board right now? Speak it out. Yeah. Okay. Prayer. Prayer team. How, what, what problem do you foresee there? Getting the team together, get, having your team operate? Vicki, is that what, what you're seeing, foreseeing as a problem? Okay, faithfulness. Yeah, I apologize for my writing there. That's, that is an EA there, team. All right? Okay, now, last week, we looked at six principles for solving church problems. All right? Come together rather than choosing sides or causing division. These are from Acts 6. Give the word priority. Be part of the solution. Accept the role of a servant. Esteem others with love and humility. Orient everything to God through prayer. All right? So let's just take those principles for a moment. Which principles apply to each of these problems? All right? So let's just start with the first one, volunteers. Which principle or principles could we apply to the, in, in solving that particular problem? John? Number three. I'm gonna, can I use a different color here? What is number three? Number three, and that is to be part of the solution, all right? A lot of different volunteers and a lot of different areas are needed. So be part of the solution. Number four, accept the role of a servant. Okay? We see this happening. If you want to go back and, and read Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses there, right, as they formed this team, um, these men accepted this role as a servant. Can you, are, do any of these other, uh, other principles apply? All of them. Okay. It sounds like we have an agreement there. Right? 
they, would all, they could all apply in one way or another. Perhaps number three and four stand out at the top of the list, but in one way or another, each of them could apply. How, how would forming volunteer teams, how would, let's just say, number five play into that? Esteeming others with love and humility. Okay, all right, being a happy volunteer. Okay, seeing people's gifts and encouraging them to use them. Not, okay, not insisting on having our own way, which will kind of take care of maybe some of the disagreements that could arise in, in those groups, on those teams, right? Okay, let's move down to disagreements. Which of the principles would apply to solving disagreements? Number one, number one, come together rather than choosing sides or causing division. What else? Number six, number six is orient everything to God through prayer. Pray through the matter together. What else? Any, any others? Number four, accept the role of a servant. Number two, give the word, <laughs> give the word priority. All right? Let's move down to cultural issues. Which of these principles could help us solve those problems? One through six, One through six says Jerry. All right? How about uh, finances? One through six again. Is that what he says? One through six, all right, we're gonna, we're just, now we're, now we're just saying all, they all apply, right? Which one in particular would apply to leadership? Number five, esteem others with love and humility. Outreach, what would apply? Six, okay, beginning with prayer on that. Number three, being part of the solution. Number two, giving the word priority. Uh, follow up with greeters. Four, accepting the role of a servant. Three, being part of the solution. Uh, forming ministries. Two, giving the word priority. Six, orienting everything in prayer and then prayer teams. Which may, prayer teams, I guess, could, be, could go into this volunteer group, right? Um, probably would be part of a ministry team or one of these volunteers. But, but I hope you get the idea. Do you get the idea? We're going to have problems. And, and the important thing is that we have an idea. We, we come to the word of God and we solve them together right, that we solve them in a way that we work together with love and unity and humility. So that's what problems do, church. These problems are going to give us an opportunity to work together in love and in unity. Look, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem did not move forward solely on Peter's ministry, did it? 
Amen? It, it wasn't just Peter. I mean, as you look at the book of Acts, Acts, the Acts begins somewhere approximately 29 A.D., right? 29 A.D. Peter is out front. He's front and center. He's leading the way. But as the book progresses, as you read through Acts, after chapter 15, you don't even find Peter's name anymore. Now you read Paul's name almost in every verse, every couple of verses. You, you see uh, Paul there. Doesn't mean that Peter had no more influence. Peter lived till about 68 AD. Uh, he was writing his epistles in 62 and 67, I believe. So his influence continued, but we don't find him uh, front and center. Of course, the, he was still in Jerusalem. The church was expanding, right, as, as, the, as, as the church moved forward and new churches were planted. And that's, that's where Acts takes us. But what I'm getting, what I'm getting at, church, is that the mission was never a one-man show. It never was. Peter wasn't a one-man show. Paul wasn't a one-man show. The mission has always involved, what does it say? Teamwork. Say it with me. The mission has always involved teamwork. You know that Jesus himself led a team? Right? Right? Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus' team perfect? Nope. No, it wasn't. Were they the most capable? Nope. Were they the most educated? Not at all. They weren't the most polished, right? I mean, just think about who these 12 guys were. Simon Peter. Here was a rough and tumble, impulsive, impetuous uh, fisherman who failed Jesus quite often, right? Often put his foot in his mouth. He denied Jesus three times, but he was restored. And, and he became this man of courage and integrity who boldly preached the gospel and becomes one of the most prominent leaders in the church in Jerusalem. You have James, the son of Zebedee, also a fisherman, lived in, under the shadow of his brother John, part of Jesus' inner circle, Another man of courage. He became a man of forgiveness. He preached the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea. Becomes one of the prominent leaders and elders in the church of Jerusalem. Then there was John, the brother of James, the third member of Jesus' inner circle. He was an ambitious man with a fiery temper and and intolerant heart. And yet it was John who had the special devotion to Jesus. John authored a large portion of scripture. He authored one of the four gospels, the gospel of John. He authored 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He authored the the book of Revelations, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Then there was Philip. Philip was a man with a warm heart and a pessimistic head. Tradition says that he preached the gospel in Phrygia, Greece, and Syria, and he traveled as far as the Egyptian city of Hierapolis where he was martyred. Andrew, Peter's brother, who, by the way, was the first follower of Jesus, he later became a significant contributor to the early church. He preached in, uh, uh, is it Scythia, Greece, Asia Minor. Uh, He was the first to have the, the title of home and foreign missionary. Three countries, Russia, Scotland, and Greece, claim him as their patron saint. So he went out, he, he ministered. 
Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, wrote one of the four Gospels. He was said to have taken the Gospel to Ethiopia and to Egypt. Uh, Thomas, a.k.a. Uh, a doubting Thomas, that pessimist, that bewildering man, bewildered man, went on to preach the Gospel in Parthia, Persia, and India. Bartholomew, he became one of the church's most adventurous missionaries, preaching in Phrygia, uh, Hierapolis, and Armenia. James, the son of Alphaeus, he went on to minister in Palestine and Egypt. Simon the Zealot, the fanatical nationalist, he went on to, to minister on the west coast of Africa, then all the way to England. Judas Thaddeus, that violent nationalist with this dream of world power, he went on to do the work of the ministry in places including the Euphrates River, Edessa in Greece, and Lebanon. And then there was Judas Iscariot. Even Jesus had a snake on his team. But what do we find as you read the Gospels? Jesus rarely did ministry by himself. Rather, he did ministry when his disciples were, were nearby, right? He had them nearby as he did ministry. And early on, they listened, they watched, right? But soon he had them serve with him. And then Jesus flipped the script and asked them to serve while he observed and helped. So Jesus deployed the 12. Later on in the Gospels, we find Jesus deploying 72. And then we find in the book of Acts, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he deploys 120 disciples. He tells them, go back into Jerusalem and wait and pray until the Holy Spirit Comes And he told them exactly what they were to do, that they were to wait for that power, for the Holy Spirit, and then they were to go out and they were to preach the gospel beginning in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. And when Jesus gave them this responsibility, he wasn't shirking his responsibility. That's not what he was doing. He was sharing the responsibility. That's what Jesus was doing. So before he ascends, he, what does he do? He deploys them. He spent three years developing them, and then he deployed them. And what did they do? They followed his model for teamwork. They did the same thing he did, the very same thing. In the upper room, it wasn't just Peter. Peter stood up, and Peter led things. But the 11 were there. But not only the 11, there were others. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. We know that the brothers of Jesus were there, James and, what is it, Joses and, and uh, what are their names? Uh, I've got it here somewhere. A Simon and Judas, right? His brothers, they were there. And then uh, also one called Joseph, called uh, Barsabas. He was also there. They were among the 120. There were other brothers and sisters, men and women, male and female disciples, we know another one that was there, uh, 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 Matthias, right? He was chosen to replace Judas. We find that in Acts one twenty six. In, in chapter 6 and verse number 5, verse number 2 through verse number 5, that problem arose that we talked about last week. And the 12, right, the 12, the 11 original disciples along with Matthias, right, that now compose the 12, what did they do? They called the church together to solve the problem. And what did they do? They put together a team. They deployed a team. They said, let's find seven guys to head up 
waiting on these tables, and they, they put some qualifications down. They need to be full of the Spirit. They need to be full of wisdom, right? They need to have a good reputation, just very basic stuff. They need to, to have those things in place. They need to be ready in that way. These were servant leaders, and they deployed this team, and they headed this up. And then, so you just go to chapter 6 if you have your Bible open, and then you just start tracking this. You start tracking those seven guys. The first guy that was part of that team was a guy by the name of Stephen. You read a little bit further in chapter 6, what's Stephen doing? Well, he's waiting on tables, but you know what he's doing in his downtime? He's out in the community preaching the gospel, right? And we don't even, there's, there's no outreach team. The guy's just out there preaching the, you mean to tell me, Pastor Dave? that the church doesn't have to somehow put together an outreach program, I can just like go out there and start like witnessing to people. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? You don't need clergy to somehow uh, uh, deploy you to go out there and be the gospel, preach the gospel wherever you, that's what it's meant to be. And that's what Stephen's doing. He's out there, he's preaching the gospel by the way, it gets them killed. Read chapter 6, the end of chapter 6 and in chapter 7. The second guy, part of that seven-man team that they picked back in chapter 6, was a guy by the name of Philip. Track Philip through the book of Acts. We find him next in chapter 4, right? Uh, the next thing we know, he's in Samaria. Jesus said, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, then in Samaria. Philip's the first guy in Samaria. Philip's there, and he's preaching the gospel. He's, he's leading people to Jesus. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And then the Holy Spirit tells him to go talk to this eunuch guy, some Ethiopian. Hey, I want you to go down there. He's riding his chariot. Go down there and talk to him. And the, the Spirit tells him what to do. And he, he goes down there, and he leads this guy to Jesus, and he, he baptizes him. The next thing we know, later in Acts in chapter 21, Philip opens his home to Paul and his team. They come over and stay with him. And Philip has these four daughters who prophesy and, and they're doing ministry in Caesarea. Okay? I, I hope you're tracking with me. You get into, I'm trying to go like to, your, to our heads tonight, right? That when you read the book of Acts, there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff for Jesus. There's a lot of people who are ministering. And you look at that team of seven, we only know really anything else about those two guys, Stephen and Philip. We don't know much about those other five guys. Not really much at all. For all we know, they waited on tables, they took care of the widows, and they did that as long as they were needed. They just faithfully did that, who knows, year on, year out, I don't know, how, how long did they need that? How, maybe they, maybe they uh, uh, raised up some other guys that would take their place, I don't know, we don't know the story, but we know that they willingly stepped into the role that they, the church called them to do. But there were others. You read through Acts, you come across this guy really early in chapter four, a guy by the name of Barnabas. Who's heard of Barnabas? Yeah, we've all heard of Barnabas. He shows up first as a generous giver. He sells everything that he has, and he, he brings it, he gives it, right, uh, in chapter 4, and that's what kind of led Ananias and Sapphira to, uh, to do their dirty deed that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? 
Um, the next thing we know about Barnabas is in chapter 9, he finds Saul, this new believer, this guy who had been persecuting the church. Well, Barnabas finds Saul and takes him under his wing because nobody else in the church of Jerusalem wanted to touch the guy. They, they were, they, like, he had, like he was a leper, like he had a plague, like nobody wanted to be around Saul because they knew what Saul had been up to. They weren't sure that this whole salvation thing was real with him. Barnabas, he goes, he finds him, he takes him under his wing and he spends time just mentoring him and discipling him and loving on him and helping him grow in his faith. Sometime later, sometime later, as the gospel spreads as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch in chapter 11 and people were being saved and the news got back to the church at Jerusalem, they send Barnabas out there to investigate. And on the way, he stops and finds Saul, the guy, Saul, Paul, the one that he had spent time with earlier. On this trip, he finds Saul and he takes him with him to Antioch. And there together, they teach the disciples there for a whole year. Listen, you want to know how effective their teaching ministry was, their equipping ministry was in Antioch? The Bible tells us this is the first place they started calling people Christians. These people that they taught and equipped that had become so mature, so Christ-like, that the world around them was like, these people are like Jesus. They're, they're like this Jesus guy we've heard all about. They're Christians. They're, they're Christ followers. Happened there. That was under Barnabas's and Saul's teaching. In chapter 13... We find Paul and Barnabas along with Simon, Lucius, and Manion, and they're, they're doing ministry in the church at Antioch. They're teaching, and during that time, the Holy Spirit says, hey, separate Barnabas and Saul. I want them to go, and I want them to, to plant churches, take the gospel out and about. And so in chapter 15, man, that's, they're out there doing that. The, the church prays, sends them off, and, and they're out there ministering, and they're appointing other uh, elders in these churches. And, and by chapter 15, this issue comes up in Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem decides that they needed to, to get to the bottom of it. And so they asked Paul and Barnabas to research it. And eventually, uh, that was relayed uh, by this team, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, uh, called uh, Barnabas, and Silas. Uh, these men together take care of this matter for the church between the two churches. By, in chapter 15, Barnabas starts working with John, Mark. Paul works with Silas. They had a disagreement, Barnabas and, and Paul, about John, Mark. And so Paul takes Silas and they launch out. And then we find Paul work with so many different people. There's Timothy. There's Luke, there's Titus, there's Priscilla and Aquila, Sopater from Berea, Aristocharis, and boy, some of these guys' names are just, I'm slaughtering them. Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Tychicus and, and uh, Trophimus from the, Asia, uh, from the province of Asia, Urbans, Epaphroditus, Archippus, uh, Arst- boy, now I'm starting to get tongue-tied. Uh, Aristarchus, Onis, uh, oh, Onisphorus, no, that's not how you say it, 
Aramaeus, I should just let you come up here and try. Azenus, the lawyer. Apollos, Philemon. Uh, Epaphras, Mark, Demas, Andronicus and Junia. Phoebe, Prisca, uh, Mary in the church at Rome. Um, a, a number of women with funny names. A Dorcas. And then there were countless, there were countless brothers and sisters that you read as you read through Acts and all the brothers and sisters. Countless elders in, these, in, in all these different cities. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is Jesus wasn't a one-man team. Peter wasn't a one-man team. Paul wasn't a one-man team. Consider this. 2,000 years ago, Paul, Peter, died. They've been gone for 2,000 years. And yet, think about it. The church has gone on. It has continued. It has moved forward from generation to generation across the globe. Just think, just think globally. Think geographically for a moment. Folks, we're not sitting in Jerusalem tonight, are we? No. We are 7,500 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem tonight. 7,500 miles. Okay? How did that happen? What if the disciples, the 120 in the upper room, what if they just decided, we're just going to stay, let's just stay in this upper room, bless God. Because you know what? It's just, it's, we're, we're tight-knit and it's just such a, an enjoyable fellowship. Let's just hunker down in this upper room. We can be thankful tonight they didn't do that, right? We can be thankful because here they passed the baton on, right? That got, the gospel went out. Churches were planted from city to city, from generation to generation, from the first century to the second, to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, to the sixth, to the seventh, to the eighth, and all the way down to the 21st century, the gospel has been preached and, and generations of believers have passed on the baton. They have made disciples who have made disciples from one generation to the next. I would dare say that every single one of us in this room, can, we can look backwards and we can identify a person or two or three who, were in, who influenced us in our journey, in our coming to Christ, right? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe I, I can go back a couple generations from, from a father and, and his family uh, to my grandfather, right? Uh, we can trace it back. I think four generations that you can count, we can count back and we can see Christians that, that uh, have been in our family. My dad led me to Christ. My dad was saved at a Billy Graham crusade as a 12-year-old boy in, in Detroit, Michigan. What, what I'm getting at, church, is that it's, we're part of something much bigger than us. And the way that it got to us, the way that the church has moved forward is this. It's on the screen. How has the church moved forward? The church has continually developed and deployed mature, equipped disciples to do the work of the ministry. Had it all been on Peter, it would have died with Peter. Had it all been all on Paul, it would have died with Paul. 
but it has, in every generation, the church has developed mature disciples who were deployed to do the work of the ministry. Across the aisle in the church, across the street in the community, and beyond, around the globe, right? Going wherever the Spirit of God led them, doing whatever the Spirit of God led them to do. And so, like they say, teamwork makes the, right? You know that one. Teamwork makes the dream work. Makes the dream work. It, 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 it propels the mission forward. And so, church, here's all I, I want us to take away tonight, is that if we are going to move forward as a church, it's going to take some teamwork. That's what it's going to take. Teams of mature, equipped disciples doing the work of the ministry. And sometimes it's problems that give us the opportunity to step up and to be part of the solution. So we need to each do our part. I want to give you a couple thoughts before we go. If Life Path's mission is going to move forward, it's going to take teamwork. Teams of mature, equipped disciples doing the work of the ministry. So here's what I want to leave you with. Number one, recognize that you have a calling. You have a calling. I want you to know that we are all called to do the work of the ministry. I know, I know that in, in some ways, this is a little bit foreign to us because we think of ministers, right? Pastors doing the work of the ministry. And yes, pastors do minister. But the Bible shows that we're all called to be ministers, that the pastors are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, Church, ministry is not reserved for professional ministers. It's not. It's for every member of the body of Christ. So what do you do? You have a calling. Recognize that. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Okay? Got that? We've been saved to serve Jesus Christ. And so we're his workmanship created to do good works, created to do the work that he has left us to do. So, so how do we, okay, we've been given this calling. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take the opportunities that God puts in front of you. Some of those opportunities will be structured. They'll be structured, right? A greeter. Kid life, right? Some of those will be, will be structured. They'll be within the structure of the church. But some ministry opportunities are not within, they're not structured. Like Philip out there in Samaria, being led by the Holy Spirit, right? Some of, some of the opportunities that we will have will be completely unstructured. And so if we listen to the Spirit of God, he'll direct us. I really believe that. Do you see that in your own life? That if we listen to the Spirit of God, He will direct us. And do I have time to show you this? Do you want to see this a little bit? Go to Acts 8.26. 
We'll do this fast. I want to show you the Holy Spirit directing here. This is the Philip. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, 8.26. What does he say? Get up and go. Get up and go. All right, look at chapter 13. No, chapter 9 and verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord says to Ananias, Go. For this man is a chosen instrument. If you go back to verse 11, the Lord says to Ananias, get up and go. Very same thing he told Philip. Look at chapter 10 and verse 19. Peter's praying. The Spirit tells him in verse 19, the Spirit told him, verse 20, get up, go downstairs. Right? This is really direct. Look at chapter 13 and verse number Two, to the church about Paul and Barnabas, chapter 13, uh, chapter 13 and verse number two, they were worshiping. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, right? And then look at chapter 16 and verse number six. It tells us that Paul and Silas and Timothy were forbidden by the Spirit to speak And then in verses 9 through 10, it says that they had this vision and they concluded that God had called them, told them what to do. And then finally in chapter 19 and verse number 21, Paul resolved, it says there, by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and to go to Jerusalem, right? Right there, five or six illustrations of the Holy Spirit of God speaking to his people and saying, this is what I want you to do. Go get up and go do it. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, he will direct you in what it is he wants you to do. You have a calling. You have a calling. Listen to the Holy Spirit and he'll direct you what that looks like. It may be structured. It may be unstructured. Number two, Number two, be deployable. Be deployable. Now, the military, I know some of you guys are in the military. I don't think that our military deploys unprepared, immature children to go to war. Now, I know that some of you may argue you were in the military like, yeah, but I knew some guys that seemed like immature children. But but the military doesn't make a practice of that, right? The military trains people to send out there, right? Helps them mature be prepared, be, be skilled with their weapon and so forth, understand the plan, right? So there's a certain level of maturity that is needed. And when it comes to being deployed in ministry, we, ha- we, we need to be deployable. You can go back to chapter 6, and, and I think you look at those three things with the, as they chose men to be on that team. Reputation matters. Character matters in ministry. Your reputation matters. Your reputation, your character will, will influence how you're able to operate in ministry. It will. If you have a terrible reputation, how are you going to lead the parking lot crew, right? If none of them have any respect for you because they can't trust the word you're saying. You, you see what I'm saying? Reputation matters. Spirit filling in chapter 6 is essential. Wisdom 
is crucial, as is grace in chapter 6. I love what Robert Murray McChain said. He said, it's not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. Amen? Man, if we're like Jesus, man, we are deployable. Man, if we're like Jesus, yeah, that is what our world needs. Christians, like not just Christians in name, but real Christ followers who are mature believers. How, how, what kind of an impact could we make in our community as we are all maturing and being equipped, right? How much of an impact we could have as we work together as a team. It's the pastor teacher's job to equip you so that you're competent, so that you're deployable. And so that's what, that's what we do here. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're, tonight, as we come together, what we're trying to do is equip us as a church to do the work of the ministry together. But listen, it's not forced on you. It's not forced. You have to make yourself available. You have to make yourself teachable. You have to make yourself responsive. It can't be forced on you. There's no draft, right? I mean, yeah, if you're saved, then you've been drafted by by God. But nobody's going to force you to do the work of the ministry. That is up to you to respond to the equipping, to be teachable and available. The third thing I I just want to leave you with is to find your place on a team. Nobody should go it alone. Nobody should. And the body of Christ is comprised of many members, all of whom are to work together in unity and love. We're interdependent on one another. And so as we think about forward, as we think about our church, church, it's, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take each of us doing our part together, being part of the solution, being part of, the, of, a, of a team, uh, right, one of the, the various teams, but being a part of the larger team, being a part of the body, being one of the developed saints who can be deployed into ministry. Remember this as we close. It's not about us. It's not about now. It's about God, and it's about eternity. Peter's gone. Paul's gone. And one day we're going to be gone right? One day, all these buildings burn down. Buildings crumble. Buildings burn, but disciples don't, right? And so it's, it's not about us. It's not about us somehow making a name for ourselves or, you know, finding some good feeling in serving. No, it's, it's not about us. We haven't been given the spiritual gifts we've been given for us. It's for others. We've been gifted for others. We've been gifted for the body of Christ. So it's not about us. It's not about now. It's about God, and it is about eternity. You know what's awesome? We get to have a part in it. Amen? Man, we get to have a part in this. We get to have a part in it. So I want to encourage you, would you be a part of it? Would you, in your heart, commit to being a part of this? And the truth is, I don't think that we should wait until day one to, to get this stuff in line. Do you, do you agree with that? We, we have to start this now, don't we? How many of you say that we need to, we need to start this stuff now? 
We need to start this now, right? One of the ways that, that we can do that, I mean, just some of these things, like, like greeting. Jerry's, Jerry's been our, he's our, our greeter head right now. Well, we don't want anybody to serve alone, right? Let's put somebody along. Who wants to come alongside Jerry and say, all right, we're a team. We'll do this together. Maybe we have, maybe we have three people who will join Jerry, say, hey, we're a team. Uh, my wife has been doing kid life um, on her own, and God, God she, she enjoys doing this, and she works hard at it. But I, I, you know, I think that she, I'm glad, I'm glad she's in the room tonight. She hasn't been in this room for weeks months, maybe a year, but, but she needs to be in this room more often. I think she does. I, I kind of need her in this room every so often, every, every couple weeks at least, but, but, but some, but who would come along, Cindy, and say, you know, okay, uh, let's figure this thing out. I'll join you on the team. Let's figure this out. How do we do this? I don't want any of you in that back room every week either. We're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let that happen. We don't even want you back there three weeks out of the month or two weeks out of the month. We'd like to where, you know, maybe once a month, we would have some folks that could join that team and help in that, right? But, but, there's, but there are other ways. Those are just two that just come to mind because we know where we're headed and what we need to do and we need to begin taking steps now to get there amen i see all your heads nodding yes that's telling me that you agree it's telling me that you agree so let's bow our heads let's pray together let's ask god if we've all been called would you as i pray would you say spirit what do you want me to do holy spirit what do you want me to do it was a blessing as we were, as I was greeting folks coming in tonight, somebody in the room came up to me and they said, what, how can I help? What can I do? Would you ask the Holy Spirit that right now? What do you want me to do?